0: You're listening to the Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am
1: morning perth welcome to another episode of the perth property show today we have a fantastic new topic something that we've broached every single week for the last 61 weeks on the show and we're actually going to start talking about subdivision about introducing you guys as listeners from the most basic level on a weekly basis over the next couple of months about how subdivision works what's the point what are the constraints what are the costs what are we trying to achieve out of this in terms of built form and also profit and all of the planning issues and hiccups in between that we want to be mitigating. There's one guy to talk to when it comes to small-scale subdivision in Perth. He's my Steve Wozniak of subdivision planning development. It's Dave Gilbert. Dave, thank you very much for taking your time out to chat what should hopefully not just be this intro to subdivision, segment, but uh, the next few ones we're going to get cracking on that you've agreed to going into the future. Thank you for the introduction. It's very high level of
0: standard that you're suggesting there. Well, you need to fulfill it it now on the entertainment basis in the podcast. I I hope that my previous clients can all agree to that as well.
1: (laughs) Mate, the first thing we need to tell everyone is that given you are uh, my favorite subdivision specialist in Perth, I also did nab you and you work at Strategic Surveying. So, we want to make sure that everyone understands that on the podcast, you're uh, heading up that part of that business and we work obviously very close together every day. Let's just talk a real first up for people who have just heard the word before subdivision what are we talking about when we talk about in Western Australia what is subdivision?
0: It's probably important at this very start of the process when we start talking about subdivision is that subdivision and development are two separate processes in WA whereas other states across Australia will actually treat it as being the same thing so for example in Queensland you'll go to council and you'll get your subdivision your building approval through the council but here in WA we have two separate processes so we have the West Australian Planning Commission that will oversee subdivision. Of WAPC? The, yeah, WAPC. And then we'll have the councils who actually approve the development applications. The build. For the build, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. okay.
1: Yeah. So to be able to concurrently manage both of those stakeholders and the stakeholders that sit underneath those is really quite pivotal to running an efficient and cost-effective development if a subdivision is a part of that development. Yeah, that's 100% correct. They talk to each other, they're intertwined, their rules, while it's not the same, are linked together. And
0: just moving to the timeframes, during a subdivision alone, there's at least seven months worth of paperwork. You don't want to be starting from that zero process, going through a full subdivision, and then starting your build afterwards if you didn't have to do that at the start. If You, you could have run them concurrently. Concurrently, and you're saving a year's worth in your actual development overall.
1: At an even more basic level, what we're talking about when we're, when we're subdividing property is where we've got a property that's a certain square meterage. It might be a thousand square meters, a mm. quarter acre even. And we're turning that based on the various zonings of the West Australian Planning Commission into more dense, smaller lots. Yeah. That may be two ways, I guess, two ways we can do that. Uh, you would see from the street. One would be street frontage lots, whether it's mm-hmm. a really wide lot or a corner. We also may have lots where it's a house behind a house or a house behind a house behind a house with common property. Can you give us a bit of information on how common property is treated in Western Australia and again how that compares to maybe around the rest of the country for listeners that may not be in Western Australia?
0: The requirements in terms of your minimum lot sizes if you're producing just a land title or if you're actually going ahead with a build, are the same requirements. So the residential design codes here in WA actually outline what the minimum lot size is going to be. Now that lot size is either going to be the land size or it's going to be the portion that's actually been allocated to a particular build. So the area of exclusive use for a build. Um, What's
1: an example? Give us a really easy, that, like that most people would
0: an, see. An R20 site is uh, 350, is a minimum size for a lot that you can produce. You would see that if you did it, as they said, two front facing lots, they could be that 350 area is gonna be the area of the house and also the area within potentially the lot boundaries. So or the fence line, sorry. We've also got an average, don't we? And we have an average, so for example an R20, the average is 450. So if you have a block of land, you'd use the average size of the 450 and that would give you the lot potential from, from that original lot. How many can I produce from this? You'd use that average number. Of those lots that you create in the future, it's the minimum lot size, is that, which is the minimum size of any of those lots that you can create. That's the smallest that one can be. That, so,
1: in this case, would be 350 square meters. 350 square meters. People sitting here going, well, hang on a sec. Why would it be 450 as an average and 350 as a minimum? Why doesn't that add up? We've got one more part of that subdivision, don't we?
0: Exactly. And that's where the common property portion comes in. And that's the driveway. And that's the driveway. And that's exactly the reason that they have these two different numbers, a minimum and an average. So is that no matter if you have a a house that is street fronting or if it's a house behind a house, you should be able to build the same size house on either one of those lots.
1: Two lots that are maybe 400 square metres each with a 100 square meter common property driveway, allowing access for that back lot. 400 plus 400 plus 100, there's your 900. Divide that by two, that's your 450. Mm -hmm. However, those two lots have also met the minimum of 350 each. Uh, We digressed a little bit there and got a little bit nerdy very quickly. Mm. Uh, Let's pull it back even further to a question like, can every property be subdivided? No. That no is with a caveat on that no. As in Good pun. Yeah. The,
0: <laughs> uh, what we need to do first is have a look at the zoning. Okay. Um, and then that would be what the residential zoning is for, for that lot. So
1: not every property is zoned
0: for subdivision. Mm-hmm. And then if that property is not zoned for it, there is potential to change that. But from a very simple point of view, your zoning would be your first step. And that would let you know if there is a potential to actually do a subdivision or a development how you know what your zoning is? You can go to your council and actually ask them. So you can go in person or you can ring them up and they'll be able to tell you. Yep. So each individual council has a mapping system. On the, the internet. The, on the internet. Um, each, most of them have maps. You can also go to Plan WA. So put in Google Plan WA and that will be the state mapping system that will have all the local planning schemes and will have the zoning for your lot. So go to Plan WA, type in your address. And do an inquiry, and it will actually come up with your zoning and any state policies that may affect that lot.
1: And that's a really good point you've made. It's very easy for people to get very caught up, especially with real estate agents when they're selling properties, with that very top line dogmatic measure of this is the zoning, this is the square meterage, a bing, bada boom, you can now subdivide. It's a triplex development site. Straight away, right? The reality is behind every WAPC level zoning, There is a very large, boring local planning scheme, town planning scheme, local housing strategy that every council will have that will actually determine the criteria for how people are allowed to subdivide and develop in that council and not even that council, in that precinct of that council. That's exactly right. So, we're talking about the layers of planning and development. It gets pretty complex.
0: Yeah, That's why you have a job. That's why I have a job. And, that's, and it's always changing as well. So just because your neighbor did something two years ago... Or 20 years ago. 20 years ago, doesn't necessarily mean that you can do the same thing.
1: That's a good perspective there because I guess the perception is that over time, everything is progressively becoming more and more dense. The R code is becoming higher mm-hmm. and higher as we keep building towards apartments and townhouses everywhere as the population grows and we don't want to be expanding our urbanization, right? However, sometimes it can go in the reverse, can't it?
0: Yeah. In WA, there's been a f- few circumstances in the past where areas have actually been
1: downzoned. That may be because of... We looked at an area in Adelaide last week.
0: Yep. Um, a lot of areas through like Rockingham and Coburn as well, where there's been previous approvals being given, which would no longer be able to be approved. And why is that? That is because every 10 years, that local planning department has to put together some sort of guide for the future. So what they might see is that given the current changes in the last 10 years, that they might not be wanting to push development further in that area and they might be wanting to push it to a different area
1: or what we saw in Adderdale for example the local residents were so up in arms about people starting to do house behind a house subdivisions that it was actually pulled back yep and that process is going for
0: common at the moment in the city of Joondalup where they've had the housing strategy come out and increased a lot of density with split zoning Duncraig,
1: Warwick, Pabury, Craigie, Calaroo yep. a lot of that and, and there's yep. a lot of nimbyism
0: Yeah, and now it's gone back to public comment in regards to to certain areas as well.
1: So you're saying we might actually see not at all eradication, but a pulling back of some of that higher zoning in some of those suburbs. It's possible? It, it's possible
0: and it's also possible that the local government will
1: add additional requirements in order to get that
0: higher density. Okay. So from, from a building perspective, they might ask for a better outcome, more parking or more open space as a requirement to try to meet some of what those area or that neighbours are, are wanting to achieve.
1: One thing that is very real these days, though, especially under this Labour government and Rita Safiotti as the planning minister is that they are pretty healthy bent on getting every council to pull their weight increase their density in terms of their zoning so that we can meet urban infill targets that were set 10 years ago and and by no way being met 10 yeah. years later
0: netherlands is a great example so recently they uh, were forced to update their town planning scheme uh, and that was after council had continually not back for 25 years right correct so after they have the planning department within that council had revised different plans and proposed different increases in density and then it couldn't get past the council so then state stepped in at a higher level in order to get at least a certain scheme approved
1: so let's pull it back even further again to someone who might be listening today thinking well i'm on a property where my neighbor down the road has done a subdivision or has done a development what would it take for me to do my own subdivision can we give a bit of an outline in quickly in terms of time frames and also minimum rough costs of what it might take to actually do a subdivision. It's not just a $2,000 application fee and next week you subdivided, is it?
0: No, you don't have titles within you know, two weeks or something like that, which people do believe sometimes and I do get that question or they are quite surprised when I do give timeframes around subdivision. If you're doing a land subdivision through WPC, you'd be looking at somewhere around a 12-month period as a minimum in order to complete that subdivision from start
1: to getting titles so you've got a house in Dunkrag right now we'll use that mm-hmm. as an example it's 700 square meters it's zoned R40 you figured that out after listening to this episode and you wanted to do a subdivision tomorrow it's going to take you 12 months on average maybe a little less maybe a little more to get that land subdivided into three blocks
0: yeah and that's because there's seven months worth of paperwork alone and applications yeah that subdivision process can be split into three components so the first component would be the application stage so we actually give that to WPC they alone can take up to 90 statutory days for them to make a decision on an application so that's once you've actually submitted it to
1: WPC. Once you've gotten that approval that's not where you get your titles is it?
0: No so you would have a conditional approval and that conditional approval means that your subdivision is not approved until you've met these conditions so there'll be a list of works that have to be required, for example, clearing the lot, connecting to underground power, connected to sewerage. There'll be a variety of different conditions there. When you get your conditional approval, you'll then be able to speak to Council, Western Power and Water Corp to ask, well, what do I need to do in order to meet these conditions? Then you can go out and do those works. That work stage would be the second part of the subdivision process. So you've got application, and then you have works as a second part. And then the third part would be obtaining the clearances and final approval and that's where you get your titles in that third part that work period in the middle once you have your conditional approval you actually have three years to complete those works so you could choose to not do anything for a year and then wait for a period of time and then start doing the works you want to or you can start smashing it out straight away as soon as you get that conditional approval so that time frame is up to you in terms of your personal circumstances and capability of what all well, they're to costly start with. right yeah
1: to be able to subdivide land That land can't have any objects on that land, right? Any features needs to be brought back to house and land package standard, essentially. So you're invariably having to demolish structures and or your whole house to be able to do this subdivision. You're paying obviously fees to the WAPC, to Water Corporation, to Western Power, a number of the surveying fees to be able to get this up and running. It runs into the tens of thousands of dollars in cash costs that a bank isn't gonna loan to you to be able to get this done. Correct.
0: As a general rule of thumb, if you're doing a small subdivision and there's not a lot of retaining it, so it's just a general flat lot, you may be looking at somewhere around 25K per lot that you want to produce. So for example, you've got two lots, your overall subdivision costs may be around a figure of about 50K.
1: Mm. Yeah, So but it's, a, it's a larger number. Well, A lot of people wouldn't have that in their bank account today yep. as a savings amount. So you definitely need to have either a strategy to release equity in your home with your mortgage broker, or have that cash sitting around to get those works done. And you would only do this, not for the sake of it, but if you could demonstrate that there was profit to do it in the background.
0: Yeah, what's the objective of doing the subdivision in the first place? It's very important that you don't lose that original idea at the start or the during why. the process. Why am I doing this? There's no point doing it if you are not going to be making any money on it.
1: Well, that's why we do subdivisionism, and that's why we do property development as an extension of subdivision. We want to make money. At the end of the day, most of us aren't doing it for the fun of it. We're doing it because we see a financial outcome that gives us options for other things in our life in the future yeah uh, it may even be to deleverage you might find that look we've got this big home we don't really need the backyard anymore but we like the house Let's sell the backyard to a young couple or a downsizer so we can still stay in our home, have some cash to pay our mortgage off and we can get on with our lives with no debt. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of clients in that There's a lot of
0: clients in that exact circumstance. They get the opportunity to stay in the area where they've been for the last 30 years and then they get to keep the neighbours that they've already had, but it does free them up financially to do other things in their retirement period.
1: Dave, I think this has been a good first intro to subdivision. Well, I reckon we'll talk about in the near future, uh, more of a deep dive into the costs, some of the pitfalls and the traps with regards to planning criteria around that, both the subdivision and the extension as an extension development, uh, and also understanding that the finances a bit more about how we're we going to make profit out of this while we do it in the first place and make sure that a lot of people that get excited about subdivision, they want to get involved and they don't really focus too much on whether it's going to make them money unfortunately we see a lot of people come to us having done their first development and made no money so mm-hmm. i think that holistic view as well is something we can talk about in the future hopefully that adds some more value to the to listeners as well
0: no i'm looking forward to it right?
1: Thanks, mate. Okay, Suburb Spotlight Time. We are talking about the fairly small suburb along the Quinana Freeway, Brentwood. Jared Rayner from Paul's Property Group. I really appreciate your time.
2: No worries, Trent. Thanks for having me.
1: This isn't a very high-volume suburb we're talking about, is it?
2: No. So, the latest census data has shown that it's just got over 800 dwellings, actually, within the suburb. So, it's considerably quite... Tiny. You know, yeah, considered a very small suburb as far as sort of the Perth metro area is concerned.
1: Let's wind it back. I love talking history. Listeners love hearing about history as to what the lifestyle was like. Bit of a lost Perth sort of style thing, Yeah, let's wind up right back to before I was born, before you were born, absolutely, before our parents were born. What was Brentwood like as, a, as an area? Why would you be there in the first
2: place? Yeah, so Brentwood was actually established back in the 1950s. So there's actually a Grasmere homestead on Spinaway Crescent and that still stands there to this day, which has the heritage listing on it. And it's situated on just over an acre of land as well. So it's still got that history relevant in the suburb, which is really, really nice. And obviously having that river frontage along that sort of uh, eastern side of it, has really been the key driver to sort of coming in with that history and having that road network as well.
1: So a lot of the houses in Brentwood would have all just been land from that one homestead.
2: Correct. So then that's sort of where it all started and then obviously has been redeveloped across the years and yeah, now just sits at just over 800 dwellings.
1: Look, to still have an acre of land, on the river in a place like Brentwood tell you what that would be a fantastic little site is it privately owned or is it government owned
2: privately owned but yeah look it's not going to be sold anytime soon unfortunately I have spoken to those owners before but yeah have they owned
1: it for what's their uh, lifestyle since, like
2: uh, since day one so wow, it's, it's yeah so it doesn't no one lives in there anymore okay. um, so it's a yeah it's an unoccupied home as well but yeah it's just it's really interesting homestead with the history involved
1: is it worth driving past can you see anything of it from J- the street
2: uh, just the old you know dilapidated sort of building itself so okay. yeah yeah, it's, it's a tough one, but look, it's a beautiful location.
1: I'm guessing there's still all this. There's, there's probably a lot of change. Given it's a 50s suburb, 50s, 60s, 70s, people would have been moved, moving in along that time there'll be a lot of single house owners that are starting to retire, pass away and, and pass those houses on to a next generation.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I've been selling the area for uh, coming up 10 years now. So what we've found is sort of in that time frame we've seen a lot of that sort of older generation that was some of the original sort of people who built and lived there for, you know, 30, 40 years have now sort of sold up. Some of those blocks are being, you know, subdivided. And then obviously, you know, the, the new generation is sort of coming through because obviously it's proximity to the CBD and it's quite a forgotten suburb. So it's, it's quite interesting just because of the size of it. A lot of people, when you say Brentwood, don't realise its proximity.
1: If you don't live south of the river, you've probably never been to Brentwood. Absolutely. It's a, it's v- very, a very much a family suburb where there's no need to drive through it because it's already, it's obviously got those thoroughfares around it and that would work in its favour.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's just because it's got the dual high school zone, so it sits in the Applecross and Ross Moyne high school zone, that's one of the key drivers that really brings a lot of the buyers into the area.
1: Probably keeps the stability on price, especially the last five years where we've seen most suburbs have a dip. Brentwood's been pretty strong.
2: It has, yeah. So, And it's interesting, you look at the stats with Brentwood, and it, because it's such a small suburb, the stats can sort of vary quite significantly from quarter to quarter. Yep. Um, so it's good to really get in and see what you're getting for your money. But average sort of pricing sitting at that 640000 And then obviously the quarterly growth has been 4.1% coming off the real stats. And then last year's growth was 4.8%.
1: When you think about hearing positive numbers for the last 12, 12 months, months, yeah. And you compare that to what we've heard in a general space of negative 6% over the last 12 months for the whole metro area. It just demonstrates that it's not one narrative. Perth's you know, metro drop of 6% is not shared by every suburb. When you think about suburbs like Brentwood, and then you go to your Rossmoyne, Shelley's, Riverton's, these areas that are all within that Rossmoyne high school zone for starters. Uh, and then you've obviously also got the Applecross high school zone as well. These are clear demographic factors of why people, especially in that socioeconomic space, who can afford to buy in there, are looking for an option. Not a lot of supply, not a lot of people selling. Yeah. They'll pay what they have to and the price stays up. And in this case, the price has actually gone up.
2: They have, yeah. So, and, you know, that's, you know, true credit to the suburb itself and the people that live in it. You know, it's, it's really a premium riverside suburb, you know, and that's it's so unknown and not a lot of people know about it. But that dual catchment zone for the high schools has been the key driver to keeping that price point up. And just its proximity to other sort of amenities, as far as Bull Creek Train Station, easy access to the CBD, coming off at Cranford Road, it's been a real driver, and a lot of people moving into that area. So even in a depressed market, you'll find a lot of people are coming from the outer suburbs and moving into that location.
1: Let's just be really clear. Let's explain what are the perimeter suburbs of Brentwood.
2: Yep. So surrounded by basically, you've got Mount Pleasant on the north, on the north, Bouriguen to the west. You've got to the east, you've got Rossmoyne. And then obviously to the south, you've got Bateman and Bull Creek.
1: Most of us would know those suburbs. Most people For will. For some reason, Absolutely. we've not heard of Brentwood.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's a little hidden gem, to so, be honest.
1: Those old school houses, their 50s houses, can you yeah. give us an idea of are they mainly double brick? Are they brick veneer? Are they uh, fibro?
2: Yeah, a lot Are of them. There many left. Not many left, to be completely honest. Some of them still have either the brick veneer or the asbestos, um, sort of with them. So, but a lot of those ones, to be honest, have gone over the years, and things have been reconstructed, rebuilt, and a lot of that sort of asbestos nature is gone in a lot of them. And a lot of that newer dwelling is coming through with the subdivision potentials as well.
1: So we already know who's been selling these. It's the original owners mm-hmm. most of the time. Who's buying?
2: Yep. so we're finding a lot of like the executive younger couples as well, obviously because of that proximity. Mid-30s. Uh, mid-30s, young kids, young kids. And then you're finding the families are coming into some of those bigger blocks that haven't been subdivided. And, and they, the good potential with those is they don't have the ability right now to be subdivided with some of them. And that's nice because that's what the families are wanting, that nice spacious you know, backyard for the kids to be able to grow up and play on as well.
1: Those Riverside properties, I'm guessing they're easy seven figures.
2: Yes, yes, that's correct.
1: Would they be competing with properties in Mount Pleasant, for example? They do,
2: yeah. So, very, you know, that Riverside pocket of Brentwood is very much considered, you know, a lot of people know it as Mount Pleasant, even though it is actually Brentwood itself. So, Cranford Road's that dividing road there.
1: Obviously, we've spoken to high schools. That's an easy <laughs> one. We under, I mean, look, not many people would know the dual zoning there. Yeah. Uh, but we understand the schools and the benefits of those schools. Mm-hmm. What about junior schools? So we have a Brentwood yep. Junior School. Yeah, there's a Brentwood Primary
2: School. So yep. that just comes off Morleyan Road there, quite central. And we have obviously got on the Cranford Road shopping centre there. So you've got your different IGAs, you've got your Brumbies, you've got, you know, different chemists and uh, butcher shops and everything like that. So it's got all the little amenities right at your doorstep.
1: If I'm coming from work in the city and I'm coming off Canning Highway and chucking a left, no, that's the beauty of Brentwood. Off Leech, so, Leech Highway.
2: No, even better. So, if you're coming into Brentwood, you get off at Cranford Avenue. Coming from the city, it's a very um,
1: unique uh, off ramp as well, isn't it?
2: And there's an on ramp as well. So, basically, if you're heading into the city, you can go from Cranford Avenue straight up to the city as well. So, it's really accessible.
1: Pretty lucky when you think about it. All it's the rest a gem. of them are major on and off ramps, and this is just some. It seems like a good idea at the time that someone's been able to swing through Parliament at the time when. Really, it's quite a unique and small subset subset of people that see benefit from that.
2: Absolutely, and that's what you know been one of the key drivers to a lot of the buyers coming into the area.
1: Let's talk buying. What am I paying as a minimum to get in?
2: Uh, so, I mean, look, there are some apartments on the market at the moment. You can get uh,
1: apartments in Brentwood.
2: You can now, yep. So, there's a development at the moment. It's still off the plan, uh, so it hasn't started their construction or anything like that. So And they're starting you know, anywhere from sort of that $300,000 mark. Are um, they one by ones? One by ones, yep. I are mean, they near the train
1: station? Is that, uh, where, is that a spot there? Where so are we having opposite, zoning for apartments?
2: Opposite the shopping centre. So, it's just down the road next to uh, south of the petrol station. Okay. Yep, which is really nice sort of location as oh, well. All right, so that's yep. a
1: new offering there. Any older yep. flats yep. or villas yep. sort of there units? There are.
2: Yep. So, and then typically they're sort of in that sort of $400,000 plus range for maybe like a little two by one uh, that might've seen some renovations to them. Uh, that average price at 640000 has, you know, grown quite considerably over the last few years, just because I think the demand for the suburbs has been really increased with sort of not a lot of people knowing it previously and now sort of, you know, looking at those benefits. But, you know, you can go upwards of, you know, several million dollars if you're looking in that Riverside pocket.
1: Well, I'm assuming given the small transaction numbers that, that would easily be pulled up by a number of people going in there, buying the old Fibro full block for six, sevens, something like that, and then knocking it down, splitting into two properties, putting big two-story houses on there, and now they're going for higher hundred thousands or even in the mills. Correct. And that's what's yep. bringing that average up. Absolutely. You've you still know. got affordable yep. options, though, below that. Definitely.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's that longer term potential as well that you might look at sort of, you know, renting it out in the interim. The rental rates are going quite well in the pocket as well, just because of those dual high school zones is the real key driver at this time of year.
1: Do you have many typical 90s big four by twos with, you know, maybe a you know second living room? on 600 square metres in Brentwood. Is there much of that around?
2: A lot of it's more in that sort of four to 500 squares or they step up to sort of 800 plus square metres. So that's probably the sweet spot in Brentwood, um, which is really nice to sort of look at that sort of driver.
1: I think we need to go straight into subdivision. This is a, mm. one of the most efficient chats. You know your stuff, clearly. <laughs> yeah. You've already alluded to the fact that there are areas where you can subdivide and yep. areas where you can't. Correct. And you explain to us with a bit of a visual aspect The where and the why
2: Yeah, absolutely So depending on some of the blocks On that eastern Riverside pocket And there's some streets You know, Beamish Avenue That have some of those larger blocks That can't be subdivided Same as, you know, along Pullo Road Um, absolutely you know and you know it's that's really capturing the family essence the of the buyers. as well I think. Yeah you know and a lot of the people coming into that area obviously looking at sort of retaining that larger block some of them even with the subdivision potential just look at it as a future growth option they're looking at but in there's a middle pocket between sort of the freeway and Mullion Road of Brentwood and that's where you'll see the sort of zoning goes up R25s and some of those 700 square meter blocks are being chopped up and subdivided as in well. The two. Correct
1: yeah. Okay is that as high as that zoning gets? Uh, you, you've alluded to apartments
2: Yes So basically depending where it is The only apartment dwelling there it Was one that has an amalgamation of a couple of lots So that was a spot rezoning so, Correct Yep So City of Melville approved that one
1: Okay yep. Smart man Whoever's developing that Yep. taken a bit of a gamble and it's paid off. Good luck to him. I've heard there will be, but do you see future rezoning strategically closer to the train station at the R40s, R60 levels?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, that's all being investigated with the city of Melville at the moment. They are considering those kind of options running along that freeway locality and within that 400 metre radius of the Bull Creek train station.
1: Do you think there'll be a local demand for that sort of product?
2: Absolutely. Downsizers? Yeah. Yep, certainly the downsizes coming into the area and even just some of your younger executive couples wanting that proximity to the CBD, not being in the city still having parking allocations, but having the easy access, you know, to all those different amenities. Train straight in. Yep, yep. And same as your doctors because it's so close to Fiona Stanley and St. John and God Hospitals as well. They're going the other way. Correct,
1: yeah. Yeah, okay. You've seen many of your clients actually making any money in that development space at the moment. What do I have noticed for quite a few of these oh, uh, 700 and something square meter blocks that are R25 that are selling in the six $700,000 mm-hmm. marks. It's not the easiest task to go and make a healthy profit in these spaces when as a developer, you're coming in trying to compete with those young executives who are semi-interested in profit but more interested in building their dream home and maybe saving a bit by selling a lot next door. Yep. So competing them on the purchase price can be really hard. Is that a reality because you've got a bit more of that owner-occupier
2: pool coming into the suburb as well? Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's where when you look at that sort of buyer demographic coming through, that's really what you're getting is what we would sort of consider maybe your mum and dad investor that want to keep one side for themselves and want to obviously sell off the other one to fund the construction. And yeah, that's hard to compete with. It is, it is. So, and I think, look, coming through the developers need that sort of, it's all on scale, as you know, and, and everything like that. So I think you've got to be buying right at the right numbers and you're not know better than anyone yeah. when, you know, if you're not buying right then obviously that future profit can be eaten up very quickly
1: yeah so i think this probably this suburb really is going to appeal to that i like to call them brother sister developers yep where uh, i've seen it enough you've got this quite well educated literally brother and sister sort of thing one family and then another family coming together to build their dream homes next to each other essentially and there's you know a small level of profitability involved in what they're trying to achieve or at least saving money, deleveraging that, but they really just want to get into the right area and build their right home. Yeah. It makes it really hard for a developer to come in and compete with that because we need to make it, you know, we need a good 20% sort of thing to make this work. And a lot of those
2: are between 10 to 15 sort of percent that they're saying. Exactly right.
1: And you guys see it as a selling agent, but the reality is if you've got a developer coming in who needs it at this price and their brother and sister developer coming in saying, well, we're happy to go 10%. Well, clearly, you're going to sell it to them. Mm, That's absolutely. That's job, right? Yeah. I think this is a suburb on the development side where we're probably more interested in this suburb when we start getting that rezoning around the train station at the higher yep. levels where, as you said, we've got more volume to mm-hmm. actually sell up and, and make that extra money along the way. Yeah.
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: Still good for that owner to learn yep. in this space. Let's talk on, on that median house price, right? Yep. You have referenced the mid-sixes. Yeah,
2: so that REWA's current stats at the moment are showing 640,000 as the median price. Look, it might be a little bit on the higher side. It does depend on sort of what has sold. So that median price can jump a little bit with Brentwood due to the sort of lower sales volumes considered and that you'll see across a number of other suburbs as well. So typically what you'll find, for instance, maybe a three by one in that sort of 450 to 500 range, your three by two twos might be in that 550 to 650 range on that sort of smaller block and then your four by twos can be you know anywhere from that sort of 700 honestly up to the multi-million dollars so it all depends on the block size finishes specifications and those sort of aspects
1: well, given that it might be a little higher this probably makes that question a little easier for you to answer is if you had 640 650- $40,000 yeah. in your pocket yeah. what would Jared Rayner buy? Look
2: I'd probably look for that you know low maintenance easy care modern home that's my kind of style I like that sort of contemporary living and I still see you know especially putting it into Brentwood I see that longer term growth coming through just because of the proximity to all the different amenities and the school zones
1: Okay yeah. is it on a developable block or maybe a future development opportunity for that price?
2: Look for that sort of price you're probably not you're probably on that sort of 350 to 400 square meter block if okay. you're talking a modern 3x2 yep. okay. otherwise you know you're sort of coming in. If you had that 750 to 800 thousand, then I'd be looking at that block potential okay. that's got that subdivision. That's the stretch yep. there. Yep. Or going on to the riverside location.
1: Jared, thank you for coming in. Probably the most efficient suburb spotlight we've ever done. This is a man who clearly knows his stuff. And uh, for a lot of people out there listening who just have not considered Brentwood as their option and have been thinking Melville, Myrie, uh, Alfred Cove. Bateman, these sort of areas, Mount Pleasant, Ardross, have a look at Brentwood. I I really think it's one of those hidden gems that has just as many, if not more reasons to live there in terms of accessibility and amenity. And clearly no one driving down your street in the middle of the day or the middle of the night to uh, wake you up.
2: Oh, look, it really is, Trent, and I I really appreciate you having me in. Mate, we'll speak soon. Thank you. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show.